the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live, and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. So we want to welcome you to the Four Horsemen podcast. I'm your host today, Benjamin Kerfman. I've got a special guest with us, Johnny Hunt from First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. He's the co-pastor there. He also leads an annual men's conference and the Timothy Barnabas retreats uh, for pastors and their wives. And so, Pastor Johnny, we're very excited to have you uh, with us today. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. One of the things that you're demonstrating in in this interview is uh, generosity, which you're known for. I know one of the men that I pastor with actually uses a preaching folder that you gave him once at an annual meeting. So you have a reputation of being a very generous person, just as you've been today. And we're actually recording here in Hendersonville, North Carolina, at Fruitland Baptist Bible College where Pastor Johnny has just been speaking for our alumni day. And so we take advantage of this opportunity to learn a little bit from him about the idea of succession. And this is a topic that has come up more recently in a situation where the average tenure of pastors is still very low. And so one of the things that we want to see happen in the future, especially within the Southern Baptist Convention, is long-tenured pastors that are also handing off healthy ministries because a lot of men come into a ministry where maybe a a pastor has died or has had some kind of health issue, and there's not really a strategy in place um, to continue on the ministry in that church. So many people that are familiar with your ministry there at First Baptist Woodstock understand that you're in the process of a transition, that you're taking on a new role with NAM, is my understanding, and that uh, that you have a gentleman there that you've been uh, mentoring and discipling that you're kind of bringing in into leadership there. So tell us a little bit about what that's like uh, there at First Baptist Woodstock. Okay, yes, we're um, starting actually the 15th of October. Jeremy Morton will come on as a co-pastor with me. And Jeremy's been following my ministry for 15 years, but in particular the last three years, it's been more of an intentional mentoring of him, but not necessarily in thinking he was to replace me. That sort of came in the context of our relationship that I just begin to sense this is the type guy and this is the window and the opportunity and we even felt the leadership of the Lord in bringing Jeremy to us. So basically uh, I will serve beside him from now until January 2020, Lord willing, and then I will move on and strictly do the senior vice president role of North American Mission Board in the area of evangelism and pastoral leadership, which are two great passions of mine. So I'm extremely excited to be able, by the grace of God, to give a model of what transition and succession should look like in our churches. Another question is, you've been in ministry for, well, you've been at Woodstock for what, 30 years? 32 years. 32 years, okay, so you've been there for a long time. So you started uh, in ministry at a young age. And even started at Woodstock, I think you said earlier you were 34, is that correct? correct? Um, so, you, so you've been there uh, for many years. What is something looking back um, early on that you might have done differently to prepare for succession? Or was that in your mind when you began the ministry there? It certainly was not when I first started. But, you know, as you begin to um, serve the Lord, and especially as you start moving into your late 50s and early 60s, it just seems to be something... 
you know is inevitable if you live uh, as to what it should look like. So I began to read some books, listen to what other men beyond me were doing. But deep in my heart, I really felt that one thing that helped me is a book by Robert McGee, Search for Significance, to make sure my identity was not in what I do, but in who I am. Now, I'm in that process right now, but all I can say is phase one, which I think has been most difficult, and that is deciding to pass it on, to pass the baton, to move out of the way. That could probably be the hardest decision to make, and yet my wife and I both have embraced it with real joy. People continue to use the word bittersweet. It might have been bitter in trying to get there, but once we got there, it's really been sweet, sweet. So we feel it's a major win-win. Uh, having served 32 years, when I leave, I will be in the beginning of my 34th year, Lord willing. Uh, I'm 34. Uh, Jeremy is 37. So I really was young, and he's young. And I, it excites me to know that he could give his next 30 years there uh, by the will of God. And I think he could uh, take a very healthy church and take it to uh, places I never saw it going. It's a good perspective to have. What do you think other pastors maybe who are, who are younger and they're just now entering their ministry, what do you think they could be doing now to prepare for succession later on if the Lord gives them a long ministry? I think one of the major things is, again, your own personal identity. One of the reasons I think it's hard for some guys to give it up is their whole life is wrapped up in what they do on Sundays or what they do in leading their church. And yet I feel like I have a heart for missions, a heart for training pastors. I have so many other things that I would like to do. I have a real passion for my children, my grandchildren, my wife, my friends, for traveling. And so um, don't make your focus so narrow that when you come to the point of thinking one day that you'd step aside, that your entire identity is tied up. You don't know who you are anymore. Because it's like Woodstock, Johnny Hunt, Johnny Hunt, Woodstock. And if that's all there really is to it, um, it, it's really hard to ever walk away from it. So I would encourage them to begin to read some of the books on succession and transition. Note it when you're in the scriptures where there was a day that Moses would leave and Joshua would come. Paul would leave and Timothy would come. Elijah would leave and Elisha would come. So you see these biblical patterns and models in the scripture. And just pray that we can graciously do it. And think often of abstaining others better than yourself that make it my life goal that not only do I rejoice in the wonderful ministry I've had at Woodstock, but do everything within your power and influence to make the pastor that follows you very successful. Use all your influence to give him a great start and all the help he needs. Woodstock, I think you said earlier um, today, when you first came there, there were about 200 in attendance. And my understanding is uh, from the internet now, it's somewhere around 19,000, is that correct? Yeah, and that would be uh, attendance versus membership. Right. We had a membership of about 1,000 when I came, we're averaging 200. Today we'll average about 6,500 in our worship services, but we do have a lot of members Okay. But, uh, we all know that many of them don't tend. And, and we live in what's called the big shift is trying to identify our culture. The average person attends church 1.8 times a month. So I may have 10,000 different people in my worship services on any given four Sundays, different ones. Mm -hmm. But on any given Sunday, other than Easter, 
we'll have 6,500. On Easter, 14,000 show up. And a lot of times people think it's visitors, but it's really just all our people deciding to come on Resurrection Sunday. Right. So, uh, yeah. And so how would you say uh, from when you began the ministry there versus now later in ministry after the church has grown, um, how does succession look different in the context that you're in now versus when you first started? Well, when I first started, um, really, uh, I'm not sure anybody wanted what I had to hand off. But uh, today, it would if God would give someone liberty to, to come, and I feel like Jeremy's not just coming because it's a big opportunity. I believe God really actually led him just as much as he did me. But by the grace of God, our church in 2020 will be debt-free, which means I hand him a $100 million campus paid for. So I've spent my 32 years already raising $87 million and building the campus and paying for everything. And then I inherited a couple of part-time staff members. He will inherit 150 staff. So it's just a different, that's why I think the transition is so needed that I can stay, stay there and help him uh, get his arms around, feel what we call uh, settled in the saddle, uh, at ease in the saddle, to believe that he can lead it. And I think he can. He's very capable, and he's done very well with what's been committed to him. And that's what I've watched is how did he steward what God gave him. I'm real big on relationships, so I've really watched to see how he relates to others. So I think there's a lot of um, uh, similarities in our approach to ministry that I think will be a help for him going forth. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing with the North American Mission Board and kind of what your vision is for that as you're entering this different season of ministry. On a contract basis for the last five years, I've been um, training leaders on their platform, revitalization, Timothy Barnabas, uh, the leader I want to be. So in one year, a couple of years ago, I, I actually trained 3,900 leaders on their platform. So I'll continue that, but we'll even take it to a new level once it's full time. And then I'll lead evangelism. We uh, are at an all-time low on evangelism. Uh, we have to go back to 1948 to see the numbers, to match the numbers now of the people we baptized in one year. And so it's my prayer that God would use us to put evangelism uh, back on the front burner where it is no longer there with many churches and pastors and pray that we can once again become the Great Commission Church that really makes disciples, that are making disciples, and to see us win many um, thousands and tens of thousands of people to Christ through all the different venues God has given Southern Baptists. To make a difference. So that's my goal, it's my position, and uh, I have a way forward that I really believe God will honor. So lastly, if we have a, an older pastor who's listening, maybe he's entering that season of life where he's ready to pass the torch or, or uh, he's anticipating um, having to make some kind of transition in the future, what would you say to that brother who maybe hasn't made those preparations up to this point? but he recognizes that in order for the church to go on, he's going to need uh, to do something. What would you say to that? Brother? Well, it's never too late to do what's right, and it's never uh, wrong to do what's right. So I would encourage him to start today. And I'm talking to pastors almost everywhere I go. Someone pulls me aside and says, give me a couple of minutes. I'm 62. I'm 65. I'm 67. What would you recommend I do? 
And so if there is someone in your life that you've mentored that you see the qualities that you think would really marry well with the congregation, you may really begin to start a relationship with that person and them praying about should they be one to succeed you. Now, in Southern Baptist life, the majority of the churches had rather us just decide to leave, let them form the corporate committee and do their own thing. But the larger the church is, that becomes next to impossible, not impossible, but next to impossible because there's um, so much to be managed, so many staff members, so many ministries. There's just, it, it, it complicates what used to be far more simple. So I would encourage them to begin to pray about someone or and even ask um, the church to give them permission to put together a transition committee and have a group of men and women that you trust in the church, godly, faithful, mature believers, to help you in that process. And then when you do find someone, release that individual to them. Move out of the way and let them do thorough investigation theologically and financially and everything else to make sure that person is as stable of a leader as we think they are so we can, uh, with a concerted effort, make that presentation to the church. All right, well, thank you for your time, brother. Been a joy to be with you. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than bass the president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina. And the name of the podcast is the, is the Four Horsemen. <laughs> the Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>